so the Lord's really been speaking to me to, to talk about mental health, and this is actually something that's a little uncomfortable to talk about. I don't think a lot of people like to speak about mental illness a lot, and so if this does make you a little uncomfortable, I apologize, but know that I'm about 10 times more uncomfortable right now, so, um, but uh, the Lord's really been speaking to me about just um, ministering to those with mental illness, and I think as Christ followers, you know, we really have an opportunity to, um, to really show some compassion to those with mental illness, and so what I wanted to do is just kind of talk about mental illness, what it is, some of the diagnoses that we have that we see a lot, and um, what does the Bible say about it, and some of the things that we can do just to minister and to love and show compassion towards, um, towards those with mental illness. So first I wanted to just kind of define what mental illness is. I don't think a lot of people really actually know like what it actually is. And so there's actually a dictionary that we use. Um, we call it the DSM. I could tell you what it means, but you'll forget. But it's a dictionary for mental illness, and it has all of the diagnoses in it. And it defines a mental disorder as a syndrome characterized by clinically significant disturbance in an individual's cognition, emotion regulation, or behavior that reflects a dysfunction in the psychological, biological, or developmental processes underlying mental functioning. Okay, so what does he mean, right? That was like, that was, that, yeah, that just came out of a dictionary. So basically what this means is that someone's thought processes, their emotions, or their behavior is abnormal. And the reason why it's abnormal is because of psychological factors. So there could be some sort of a trauma in your life, whether physical or psychological, a biological um, aspect. You know, the body creates so many chemicals in the body. And so um, if one chemical is not producing enough or producing too much. This can also be a cause. And then developmental processes. So someone's uh, brain could develop abnormally or just underdevelop. And so this could be the reason why someone's, someone's acting differently, feeling differently, or thinking differently. And before I go further with that, the reason why I wanted to define that is because something I think that we forget what mental illness really means is that someone's reality is distorted. That means that someone's thinking is not normal is what you're going to tell them. What you're thinking is wrong, what you're, how you're acting is wrong, and how you're thinking is wrong. And that's what they're going to hear. So many people aren't going to want to hear that, and they're not going to want to treat that because in their reality, there's nothing wrong, right? So just kind of imagine someone coming up to you and saying, you're, you're, you're acting kind of weird, you know, you're, you're doing this and you're doing this. Um, that would be really uncomfortable, and, and I don't think a lot of people realize sometimes that that's kind of how they feel. Um, and then I've also had people ask me what the relevance is, is even talking about mental illness. Is this even a relevant thing to talk about? Are there enough people who are affected by this that we really need to speak about it? And it is very relevant. Um, in 2014, there was a study that showed that 18.2% of Americans had suffered from some form of mental illness. Um, that was three years ago. The number's only gone up. It hasn't gone down. And you have to also think about the fact that some people haven't been diagnosed. Um, you have a lot of people that feel a lot of shame with coming forward with mental illness or even seeing anybody to being diagnosed. Um, you have people that don't believe that there's anything wrong, so they're not going to go and get diagnosed. And then you also have that, you know, cousin Billy who's 
you know, never went to the doctor, but the family takes care of him. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with the family taking care of him, but he wasn't diagnosed by doctor. So he's not going to also be in this um, percentage. So I'm going to take a leap and say about 20% of Americans have, you know, a mental illness. And that's one in five. Um, Being in Tuscaloosa, it's also relevant to say that one in four college students has been diagnosed with a mental illness. Um, And if you look at when a illness begins, it begins between the ages of 19 and 25. And 75% of people with a chronic mental illness, um, they're going to have what we call a first break. And that's when your illness starts affecting your day-to-day life. And that's going to be in that age range between 19 and 25. So not only are you stressed with school, but you have a mental illness and you're just learning about it. You, don't, you didn't even know you had it. Um, also in Tuscaloosa, more than half the population of UA students are from out of state. So there are a lot of patients that come in that their families aren't even in Tuscaloosa. They don't have a support system and their families have to travel to see them or they have to, you know, contact the hospital frequently to make sure their, you know, daughter, granddaughter, whatever is being taken care of. So just kind of a little information there. Um, so what I want to do is just share a little bit of information about different diagnoses and then, um, what the Bible says about it is even in the Bible, you know, does, does the Bible even talk about it? Um, so the first one I was going to talk about is depression and anxiety. This is one of the most common mental illnesses that's been diagnosed and there are several, uh, symptoms that you can have to be diagnosed with depression. So I'm just going to name them off. But one can be depressed mood, which we call dysphoria. So this is someone who's sad and hopeless, um, probably is very tearful a lot of the time. Um, they can have a diminished interest or pleasure in anything. So for me, that would be food. <laughs> or in my family, um, being with my family, you know, for Brandon, that would be football. And so anything that you find pleasure in, you start to lose an interest in it. Um, Weight loss or weight gain that was not um, planned, that can be a sign. Um, Sleeping too much or sleeping too little. Uh, Fatigue or a loss of energy. Um, Diminished ability to think or concentrate, being indecisive, that can be a symptom. And recurrent thoughts of death. And um, this is a, this is a move toward having suicidal ideation, and this is a very serious um, symptom, but this is when someone doesn't fear death, but someone who starts to obsess over it and think, well, what would it feel like? How would my family be affected? And what would I do uh, to make sure my family's taken care of? So does the Bible even speak about mental illness or about depression specifically? Well, that's the one thing I didn't have trouble finding. Um, Proverbs 18, 14 says, The human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. And that actually will uh, answer in just a little bit. But I thought, well, I'm going to try to find some people who, you know, was feeling depression. And that was also really easy to find. And um, I found David. He wrote down all of his woes and sorrows, uh, some in song form. In the Bible, and so um, in Psalms 38, I really, this is something that I really thought was a good description. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long, I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. And this is when 
David is experiencing physical pain due to his uh, depression. And in the whole entire chapter, he starts talking about a festering wound, which is really gross. But um, I don't think he was talking about a physical wound. I think he was talking about the fact that he had um, done something terrible that he felt required, you know, made a festering wound. And so the Lord, he was asking the Lord to heal him. And he was just in anguish of it. And so one thing about David is that he was very articulate and he knew how to really speak about what he was feeling. And this is something that someone with depression will will feel. They will feel physical pain with their depression. You can have depression from physical illness or you can have physical pain from depression. This is not uncommon. And actually we see that a lot when patients come in depressed, they're going to have um, sometimes a lot of pain, back pain, leg pain, whatever, it's exacerbated by it. Then I tried to find someone else, and I thought of Paul um, in the New Testament. And um, one thing that Paul wrote in uh, 2 Corinthians, I actually used to look at anyway when I was nervous or scared, like tonight. (laughs) And so um, in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, he says, Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. So it's going to be good. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. He's been in danger. I have labored and toiled and have been often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led to sin and I do not inwardly burn? Okay, so he's been through a lot. Not only physically, he's been physically tortured, but mentally. He talks about being shipwrecked and being at sea night and day. I would wonder when my help was coming at that point. You can live on raw fish for so long if you can catch it, and there's no clean water. So you start to think, you know, what's going on? Um, So not only has he had that, but he's been in danger from everyone. So that would make me a little paranoid if I'm danger from, like, life, you know, what's going on in the world. And then he says, not only that, but I have the pressures of these new baby churches on my shoulders. I'm holding them accountable and I have to write tons of letters to them to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. So he says, who is not weak and I do not feel weak. Do we think he's just physically weak? Because I don't, I don't think he's just physically weak. And in fact, then he says, who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. So there you go. He's, he's angry. He's upset that this is what's going on. And he talks about how he understands exactly what's going on because he's gone through worse. But the next verse is what's the most amazing is he says, I must boast. I would rather, if I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. Why would you want to do that? Because the Lord got him through being in danger from life, being shipwrecked, being beaten I don't even know how many times, and facing daily pressure of having to take care of the church. So he has 
actually been through a lot with the Lord, and he shows that he is weak. He does inwardly burn with anger. He is human, but the Lord has gotten him through everything. So does it mean that having a mental illness makes you weak? No, it doesn't. Does having diabetes make you weak? No, it doesn't. Having to take medicine for your diabetes, no one's thought that that makes them weak. So why would taking medicine for a mental illness make you weak? I think that that's around the same thing. It's a physical cause that you're trying to take care of. And so when you take medicine for a a physical illness, you don't really think about it. But I know a lot of people with a mental illness who say, well, I don't really like to talk about it because people think I should be healed. And I'm not yet. Well, we'll talk about that later. (laughs) So let's talk about another diagnosis. There's a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And this is similar to depression. It's called manic depression. So when you have bipolar disorder, you have bouts of depression like we spoke about. And then you have bouts of mania. What is mania? So I'm going to describe it and then I'm going to tell you what it means. So mania is a distinct period of abnormally and persistently elevated, expansive or irritable mood and abnormally and persistently increased goal-directed activity or energy lasting at least one week and present most of the day every day. So when you have uh, mania, that means that you're going to be goal-oriented. You're going to have about five different goals and you're not going to reach any of them because they're this high and you jump from one to one, right? So I've had someone tell me that she was going to be the president of the United States in 10 years. But before that, she was going to be the captain of the FBI. I don't even think that's right. And after that, once she's president and she's retired from the FBI, she's going to be a CEO of Walmart. She's going to buy all the Walmarts in the process of this so she can live off the money of Walmart. This is a 65-year-old woman who has no history with uh, politics or with uh, the force, you know, FBI or whatever you have to do to do that. So those, we would say, are goals that, you know, she's probably not going to make. You also are going to have pressured speech, uh, very hyperverbal. They're going to keep talking. It's going to be very pressured, difficult to interrupt. And they're going to probably be irritable. So you're trying to talk to them, and they're going to probably snap at you, especially if you're trying to tell them, you know, that, like, they shouldn't do whatever they're doing. Um, And then you also have to look into the fact that people with mania actually feel a euphoric feeling. So it's the opposite of depression. When you're depressed, you're feeling sad. But when you're manic, you're feeling happy. You are on top of the world. You think you can do a lot of stuff. So looking up bipolar disorder, I actually saw someone that described bipolar disorder in two words. They said chaos and disruption. Because you literally have no medium. You are down or you are high. And you don't have much of a medium at all. So in Psalms 107, you know, I didn't find anyone that actually spoke about bipolar disorder, obviously. So I had to look, you know, between the lines. So in Psalm 107, it says, Some went out to the sea in ships. They were merchants in the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted height the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves and the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. So this is similar to someone with bipolar because they have their ups and downs. And then um, actually someone posted this that... um, 
put this online that said that this they felt like this described bipolar as well. James 1, 5 through 8, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So this is something that they feel. They feel unstable and they feel double-minded because your emotions literally cannot keep a balance, like I said earlier. So then we're going to move on to schizophrenia. This is like the most uncomfortable thing to talk about ever. Um, And because schizophrenia is actually a very, um, this can be a very severe diagnosis for somebody. And... um, Many people with schizophrenia, just in my personal, what I've seen is they have less um, family ties. They have less um, structure with their life. Their family isn't as involved. They don't have as much social support. And I don't really know exactly why, but many people with schizophrenia don't take their medicine. That's actually one of the things I've noticed also is they're less likely to take it. So when you're diagnosed with schizophrenia, there are several... um, they say that there are five domains of it, so there are different um, like symptoms. One can be a delusion, so something you believe that's real and it's not real. Um, one thing I've noticed that people have is religious delusions. That is a very common thing to have. I cannot tell you how many people I've met who are God. I've met a woman who took Jesus off the cross, and I know somebody who, um, who said that Jesus was their brother. And so I was like, so you're John? He's like, no, I'm, you know. Kevin or whatever. So, um, so uh, one thing I really, you know, just wanted to say, but anyway, so they'll also have hallucinations. So they see things or hear things that aren't there. Um, and that's actually something that's really scary. If you want to ever know what that looks like or feels like, there's actually a video on YouTube that will describe what it looks like to, to have hallucinations. You put earphones in and it's very difficult to understand what someone's telling you when you're hearing things and seeing things that are disrupting uh, what they're saying. You can't, you can't uh, like, listen to what they're saying because you're too focused on what's going around you. So they also have disorganized thinking or speech. When they're talking to you, they're not going to make a lot of sense because they're going to jump from topic to topic, and it's not going to have any connection at all. Grossly disorganized or abnormal motor behavior. I've seen people walk backwards. I've seen people make weird hand gestures. I mean, they were constant hand gestures, but they were, you know, they didn't make any sense. Um, And then they have negative symptoms. That's kind of something a little difficult to describe, but it's when you take away something. So their facial expression, they're not going to have any facial expression. It's called a flat affect. They don't show um, happiness or sadness. A lot of them don't bathe. They don't have any good hygiene. I don't know where that comes from, but they can be stinky. Um, So when you talk about schizophrenia, uh, you talk about possession a lot of the time. And so one thing I wanted to uh, clear up is a difference in possession and schizophrenia because I've heard a lot of people talk how they're, you know, similar in the Bible. When they talk about schizophrenia in the Bible, they're talking about possession, and that's not true. So one of the differences uh, between having hallucinations and um, being possessed is attraction versus aversion to Christ. So I mentioned earlier you have a lot of religious delusions, and uh, demons don't like talking about Jesus. 
They don't say the name. They don't like talking about them. And they certainly don't want someone to keep talking, you know, to, to keep mumbling about it. So that's a difference. Also, irrational speech versus rational speech. Like I said, people with schizophrenia don't make any sense when they're talking. And when you read in the Bible, when someone's possessed, they speak uh, very fluently and they make sense when what they're talking to you about. So um, ordinary learning versus supernatural knowledge, if that person has a knowledge that they didn't have before. And um, the claim to be possessed, I've had a lot of people tell me that they've been possessed. Do you think a demon would want them to say that? No, I don't think so. Effects of therapy. If medicine helps that person uh, with their symptoms, then it's not possession because medicine does not help that. So looking at um, some verses that I could try to find, um, I looked in Mark 6, and there was a verse they said, um, they went out and preached to people who should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil. So I don't know if they had a mental illness or a physical. They don't describe that, but they do make the distinction in the fact that some people had possession and some people were sick. And so that's Almost all I could find. And then in Ephesians 6, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of their dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so I guess the reason why I put this here is that it's good to know the distinction between what's, what it is and what it's not. Um, so my next thing to say is that medication is extremely important with mental illness. Um, a lot of people will say, you know, I've had a lot of patients come in. We call them frequent flyers. They leave and the next week they come back because their grandma took them to church. They prayed their schizophrenia away and now they're back with the same delusions and hallucinations that they were having. I believe that healing is very relevant today. I'm not saying that it's not at all. And I'm not saying that God cannot heal us. He can heal us of anything. But just like he can heal us of mental illness, he can heal us of diabetes. And if you felt like the Lord healed you from diabetes, are you going to go to the doctor first? Or are you just going to stop taking your insulin and just go on? You're going to have it confirmed. And actually, when I was speaking to pastor last week, I said, you know, I'm trying to find a scripture where I've read before that you need to have this confirmed. And he sent me Matthew 8, 4. It's when Jesus heals a leper and he says, do not tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. And back in those days, the priests were trained as health professionals. So in the same way that would be going to the doctor having them clinically tell you yes you've been healed of this and not only do you have a witness but you have a medical witness someone who can write on paper this person does not have this illness um so now i'd like to talk about something that's even more uncomfortable if it can get um and that is suicide and this is extremely important to know because um, it's making, it's just getting higher. The rates are just getting higher. Um, it's the second leading cause of death between ages of 10 and 24. There are 10-year-old babies that are killing themselves. And um, it's a really hard thing to hear, you know, being a mother. Um, 
90% of all suicides have been diagnosed with a mental disorder. Why would, why would that hyper percentage be there? Well, I can tell you that 25% of others were, 25% of people felt that others were compassionate or understanding towards those suffering from a mental illness. One in four people felt like people were compassionate towards that illness. And um, that's just, that's a huge need for us to show compassion. What is compassion? What does it look like? What, how can we show compassion towards somebody that we don't understand what they're going through, even if we know what it is? You know, how can you show compassion? And so we're going to answer that verse I, I mentioned earlier, a broken spirit who can bear. And the answer is in Galatians 6, 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. People were not meant to carry their own burdens. They have a support system, and I believe it's our duty as Christ followers to help them carry that burden. So what does that even look like? How do you carry somebody else's burden? Does that mean you take it away from them? No, you can't take away an illness from somebody else. Um... It looks different to everybody, I think. You know, being a shoulder to cry on, being someone to talk to, someone of guidance that you can help them find some some help for them. Um, It can mean doing something uncomfortable for you and for that other person. I've had to call 911 before when I felt like someone was a danger to themselves and they didn't want me to, but I did it anyway because I felt like that was my duty, that that was their burden that I was helping bear, and I was going to call it anyway to make sure that they were safe. And that's really, like I said, uncomfortable to do. But I think that that person's life is worth more than my discomfort. And as uncomfortable as I keep talking about it is to talk about mental illness, how uncomfortable is it to have a mental illness and then know that you can't talk about it? Know that you're not able to speak about it with anybody because nobody wants to talk about it with you because only one in four people feel like people are even compassionate about it. So why would you mention it to anyone? So there are two people I wanted to talk about tonight and they're not popular. (laughs) The first man, his name is Adam Lanza. In 2012, He went into Sandy Hook Elementary School, and he murdered 20 children and six adults, including himself. He murdered his mother in his home, and then he went to school, and he murdered those babies and those adults. As a child, he was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. That's a form of autism, and he was diagnosed with OCD. But his father later said they thought he might have had schizophrenia. They just didn't know. They They didn't know if he was or not. He didn't go to a doctor. When he was in high school, he was nervous and fidgety, but very intelligent and had no friends. When he was young, his mother, or when he was in high school, excuse me, his mother took him out of school and uh, got him his GED. He went to a college later after that. He started becoming obsessed with, um, with mass shootings. Two years before the shooting, he cut off all communication with his father and his brother. He taped garbage bags to his windows. And at some point, he stopped communicating with his mother in the same house with him. He only talked to her via email. He made her bring his food in plates that were only, um, they were only put a certain way on the plate. And he called a radio station, calling himself Greg, and talked about the shootings that he was going to, to do. He was six foot one and only 121 pounds, which means he was extremely malnourished. 
And his mother had taught him how to shoot a gun in his life, so he knew how to, how to handle a weapon. I'm not playing the blame game. I'm not even saying that knowing how to shoot a gun is wrong. Um, but we can all agree that this man needed some help. And I think in some way he was crying out. And I think a lot of people talk about gun control and what these people deserve. And sometimes compassion means looking at somebody and understanding that they're suffering too and that Jesus died for him too. Jesus died for somebody who murdered a lot of people and was hurting. There's another man named Elliot Rogers. He was 22 years old, and in 2014, he was in Isla Vista, California. He made a video called Elliot Rogers Retribution, and he talked about how men and women wouldn't rejected him physically and emotionally. He had no friends, and he wanted a girlfriend, and no ladies liked him. From age 8... He was seeing therapists, and he had been diagnosed with some form of psychotic disorder because he was prescribed as antipsychotic, but he stopped taking it, saying that, I didn't need it. I was wrong to take it. He later rejected mental health completely at the age of 18, and a couple of years later, him and his roommate, his roommate used a couple of his candles, and he stabbed him because he stole some of his candles. Later on, when he became 22, he killed six people and injured 14 by shooting them. And when he ran out of bullets, he got in his car and he ran over people and then later committed suicide by hitting a tree when the police were chasing him. So why am I telling you about these people? Because Jesus died for them too. And they were suffering. And I'm not saying that they weren't responsible for their actions. Saying that someone's not responsible is is wrong to say. But... What can we do as Christ followers? We can, we can offer a helping hand, and when someone's in trouble, we can make sure that that person sees help. Psalms 43.11 says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Thank God my hope is not in this world, because... If it was, we, I would be doomed myself. Um, so what can we do? What can we do? There is a state-run mental health center here in Tuscaloosa, and every county has it. It's Indian Rivers Mental Health Center in Tuscaloosa. You can just Google county mental, you know, whatever county you're in, mental health center, and they'll give you the number and the address of that place, and you can call them and schedule an appointment for someone to see them. You can also always call 911 if someone's in danger of hurting themselves or others. That is very important to know because... Like I said, I've done it in the past, and it's been done before with people I've met who were on the brink of murdering themselves or other people. And it's really important to know, and as uncomfortable as I am, um, if this saves one person's life, it's really worth it. So I'm asking you to pray for those affected by mental illness and for those loved ones who are also affected, because families and loved ones are also very affected by this. When uh, Kayla and I were exchanging messages on Facebook Messenger, we were both like, well, there's just some odd things going on here. One was uh, right after we confirmed she would do this this evening, I, I immediately saw a note that Ed Stetzler had interviewed Kay Warren, Rick Warren's wife, about their son's suicide. 
And so I immediately sent the link to her, and she said, oh, I was going to talk about suicide uh, because she's dealt with it more. I've been, I've been called to a house to uh, say they may be taking their life and got there, and the guy had already taken his life. It wasn't here. It was in Jacksonville. And I've also went to a place expecting that the fire people, firemen, would have to knock the door in, but he hadn't taken his life. So just that whole intensity, uh, you just feel drained when you go through that. Uh, if anybody wanted to ask a question, this is why we got a different mic. We're going to take this mic out to anyone who wants to ask a question, so we'll get that on tape. Does anyone want to ask her a question? If you will, just hold your hand up. Um, there's one here. And I think she touched on a depression, anxiety, which is pretty, lot, very common. Yes. Uh, yeah. So go ahead and ask your question. Um, I have PTSD from the military. The VA did not diagnose me until 20 years after. And um, I used to think I was crazy or something, you know. Um, they, they don't. The VA wants to shove pills at everybody and take this pill, and I'm, I'm grateful they're there, but I don't need to be taking pills for everything. Do you have insurance through the military? Um, I know that Indian Rivers will take patients without insurance. I don't know if your insurance would pay for that, but you can. I have. I know their number by heart and their address, and so I can give that to you, and you can contact them to see if they can help you with that. Sometimes with the VA, that's really difficult because they're your main provider. And so I don't, insurance purposes, I don't really know much about, but I do know the Indian Rivers will at least speak with you and see if you can see a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting to hear you say how that possession and mental illness were not the same thing, and you made a good case for that. But don't you think, <clears throat> I mean, don't you think that there is some demonic oppression there? Yes. Yeah. So there's a difference. Yeah. In- there's there's always a a soul issue when it comes to mental illness a lot because it affects the mind and sometimes it affects the heart. And a lot of the time with mental illness there's like a blurred line when it comes to that. But there's always a difference and I've seen the difference. And um it can definitely have some ties with that, um, especially if someone is going through a like spiritual crisis, which is happening a lot. You know, it happens a lot because they they're not thinking clearly. But um, I think that's where it steps in. Where you know, with the differences of with the possession and the mental illness, you know, someone who um, who's having a mental illness in a, in, a, in a crisis, a lot of the time when they take their medication and they become more stable, then they start to see things a little bit differently and feel things a little bit differently. Let me give you a, a little heads up. I am second. If you've never been to that website, it's testimonies. I am second. Just Google I am second, and there's a Chad... Robichaud, it's a, a Cajun. He had PTSD from eight tours in Afghanistan, extremely suicidal, family about to blow up, but 
it, it, his story is amazing, and he's went back and created a ministry, and that's all they do as military people. It's a ranch that they have a getaway, and and they pour themselves into helping them pull them out of what he was in. He knows how it feels, all of the distortions and everything. So if you want to Google that, it's a powerful testimony. I think Shelby wanted to ask something. Uh, this is kind of a personal question. I've had too many friends that were in mental health that had early deaths themselves. You know the word compassionate fatigue. What do you do to maintain your own mental health? I cry a lot. <laughs> um, it's hard to even describe that because I know anybody who's a nurse knows that there is a certain barrier you bring up sometimes that I try not to use because um, that does eliminate the compassion aspect of it because I'm basically distancing myself from that person. You see a lot of terrible things that people have done. Um, very, very awful things. And um, it's hard because, you know, you don't want to come home with it, but you learn how to let God take control. And um, I try my best, you know, to just, just to take what I can at work and I do the best I can. And then when I get in the car, I, I let it go. I don't let it keep on me, which... I fail at sometimes I'll come home and say, you know, someone's really been on me today, you know. Um, but most of the time you just have to, um, you just have to, to let it go. And the, you know, when I'm in the car driving home, I don't want to take that home. I don't want to put that burden on anybody else. And uh, it's not going to do any good for anyone else to talk about it. And so you learn how to let God take control and you do the best you can when you're with them. So it's not really a good answer, but it's what I got. <laughs> Anyone else want to raise their hand or ask a question? Okay. Okay. So what is there for students 14 years old? That's a good question. So adolescent units we do not have in Tuscaloosa. There is a children's hospital that's inpatient, you know, for children. Um, I don't deal with adolescents very often, but um, there are some counselors. Indian Rivers does provide, you know, adolescent care also. Unfortunately, it's state-run, and that's probably the worst thing it could be because um, they don't get enough money or funding. And so uh, we have patients that it takes two or three months to even see a therapist. Um, there, I know that schools have resources for people with, like, um, like autism and different behavioral disorders. So I would hope that they would have something also to help with kids with mental disorders. And I actually don't have a good answer. I'll need to figure that out because we don't deal with a lot of adolescents. But that's a good question. Well, show Kayla your appreciation for her sharing tonight. <laughs> <laughs>